Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have a very special guest. Unlike all of the other non-special guests that we've ever had, we have Matt Peterson. Hi, Matt. Great to be here. About time. It's good to see you. Matt, you are joining us from Texas, as the sign says behind you. Is that right? Yeah, I snuck this sign in here. Uh <laughs> You may all go to hell, but I will go to Texas, is what it says. <laughs> That's uh, a line from uh, Davy Crockett, losing oh. uh, losing his congressional seat uh, and uh, saying to everyone in, is that Kentucky? I should know this. Yeah, I think it is um, Kentucky, maybe. He's, he said, uh, yeah, you can all go to hell, I'm going to go to Texas. And then he went to Texas and ended up at a place called the Alamo. Well... Yeah, I I have a Davy Crockett Bowie knife, and it's got a horse slash alligator thing on the on the handle. So I'm not sure where the alligator comes in. Like, did was he in Alab or was he in Mississippi or something for a while? I don't know. He could. I mean, it could have been. I don't. I actually. I was thinking the other day. I need to read the guy's biography. All I know is he went to Congress. He became kind of this. Uh, you know, kind of a celebrity um, for the hat yeah. and everything. It was sort of like uh, purposeful what he did mm -hmm. um, and was very popular. But then some weird political stuff happened and he lost and he ended up uh, ended up at the Alamo. But that yeah. was my line. Um, a friend of mine uh, leaving California. I'm sorry. I have a dog barking and there's nothing I can do about it. So it's OK. <laughs> I like um, dogs. <laughs> I got a. Uh, if you had a cat barking, we'd have a problem. That's true. Uh, and then I should be making money off that cat. In a <laughs> exactly. Uh, a friend of mine was leaving California, actually, and had was 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 had been in Texas before and was going back. And he alerted me to this line. And uh, it's what I use when I left California. Mm. <laughs> Not I that I really want you to go to hell. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's let's introduce you. Uh, you're um, a man of many hats. As, I don't even know all of your hats, uh, but I know that you have a podcast right now, and you were vice president of the Claremont Institute for a while. Mm -hmm. You have been a professor, an adjunct professor, as well as like a visiting full-time professor thing, right? Mm -hmm. And... We have a personal connection. I think the last time I actually saw you was at Michael Yulman's um, memorial for the friends and family. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was kind of an intimate setting. I didn't, I usually take pictures of stuff and I didn't take any pictures from that. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I'm kind of sad about not getting pictures. I'm usually the picture taker person. Mm -hmm. People uh, are annoyed with me at the time. They're like, oh, don't don't photograph me. And then 10 years later, they're like, hey, do you have any pictures from that? Time? <laughs> so I'm always thinking like 10 years ahead, uh, trying not to regret moments past. But so that was uh, what, 2019, maybe or Sounds something like that. Yeah. So were you yeah. living in California in 2019? Yes. Yeah. OK, I, I think that's very interesting. So you are an academic -y person well how would you describe yourself i don't want to put you in a box i don't yeah i mean the main <laughs> thing is you can't put me in a box i don't put myself in a box and i don't like mm -hmm. being boxes um mm -hmm. but i don't really have a uh 
a ready-made, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. I work in politics, media, business, um, uh, but mainly politics and media, um, I would say, over most of my life. And uh, definitely um, an educational background. You know, like many of us, I wanted to change the university. Um, uh, you know, saw it needed structural change. Um, and then realized, like, time's kind of running out. <laughs> it's it's past the point of no return um i think the only way to change the academy is you got to be in charge of the institutions um you know and and so i don't know i we can talk about it comes out than what everything else i do but media politics education it's all stuff i've been up to <laughs> i remember at, at lunch that we had at do you recall this at loyola marymount university because you were teaching there and i was teaching there yeah, and you had taught at Pepperdine, and I was teaching at Pepperdine, and we always seemed to miss each other. And... Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we were like for, in for the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 and uh, we were kind of commiserating, and so I'm impressed with, uh, you know, some of the. I I don't I don't keep up with everything. It's hard for me to to, to follow everything, but. Um, I am listening to your podcast. I'm I'm on the George Washington lectures right now uh, from last year, so I, I do bit by bit, a little bit by bit, a little bit. I start at the beginning when I for, with any podcast. I start at the beginning, mm -hmm. and I I try to work my way through mm -hmm. if I think it's worth listening to. Um, but I'm impressed with uh, your mindset, and it has been challenging to me um, because I'm still here in California but we're here because of my wife's business and mm -hmm. our church work that we do here. And mm -hmm. I do, I do do some teaching here, but, um, so, uh, you're kind of like an entrepreneur, right? You kind of, would you describe yourself that way? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I have a, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I think, and, uh, I came out here to, um, yeah, to start a business that really was going to start more businesses. Um, as we sit here today, I'm thinking about um, starting a production company with a team of people that I've had make uh, content for uh, American Firebrand Super Pack and now Firebrand Action, the C4. Uh, that other people want them to work on things and it's a good crew. So I think, um, you know, they could make stuff for the C4. We're going to have the Twitter files, the first video series on the Twitter files on each of them. Um, that'll probably pop out in the next week or two. So like, yeah, I don't think uh, within boxes, I do, I do think in an entrepreneurial way and I've started little things here and there over the years. Um, but I was still really trying to do education. And then once I freed myself up and said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. I kind of threw up my hands. Like I was trying to do good things, God. <laughs> I, to do good things. Uh, I didn't want much. I, I wanted to change the world through education. Uh, but, you know, I was sick of banging against my head against the wall there. Once I said, I'm going to go out and make money. Then all of a sudden I got a call from Claremont, Ryan Williams, our friend from Claremont Institute, uh, grad school friend as well. I became president and I, uh, I thought there's no way I'm going back there. Um, but you know, uh, I know I got to get out of the Academy. Yeah. Uh, so I'll hear him out. And, 
And Ryan, it just became clear, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to do some, uh, he was going to do some stuff and allow me to do some stuff. And so I did go over there during, you know, the latter part of the Trump administration. That was a wild ride. We did a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of good stuff um, and created, but it created new things there. Like the American Mind, AmericanMind.org was uh, edgy uh, online publication for the right, still is. Um, we did a lot of stuff that was groundbreaking, publishing people and ideas that were controversial, getting people to look at kind of the, what the scene looked like. And, you know, in a sense, it was like Claremont was was rebranded. I wouldn't say, uh, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't. But uh, me uh, and other people that Ryan brought in, uh, we, you know, we moved and we created some new things. And the American Mind was one of them. I was happy to bring James Polis over on that. I did a great job with it, um, helping to build it and just think new thoughts on the right. I tell you the audience for it, like I got a bunch of flack from older people, uh, <laughs> conservative people, but the, they would be like, you know, the audience is like, who are these suits online? And they're, um, <laughs> they're a bunch of kids in their mom's basement. And, you know, the truth of the matter was a lot of them were like 55 year old hedge fund managers, you know, mm -hmm. who were just looking for some sign of life. Uh, and, um, in fact, you know, there was a very serious audience there, uh, as well as probably some people in their mom's basement. Um, you know, nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> where I live. Depends and, on how and, big the basement is. Yes. And I, I look, I did that for a while. And it was, um, you know, we did a lot of the fellowship programs. Um, we got a lot of great people coming through there. Uh, I took some chances. Some worked out, some didn't. Uh, but for the most part. Uh, they became, uh, I think, a kind of a, a cool thing that everyone really wants to, you know, even cooler than they were before. Everyone wants to be there and uh, they want that Claremont um, fellowship for a reason because they see that they're moving forward and reforming the right. And so that's all good. And I, I had an entre entrepreneurial spirit about that. We we're going to refound the right or build a new coalition. And then uh, once 2020 happened, uh, the election, literally that day, I kind of thought, uh, you know, this is not, um, this is going to be a crap show uh, over the next few weeks. And, you know, I didn't know January 6th was going to happen, but I, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and I just thought, you know, every, we just need to go do whatever we think needs to be done. I think a lot of people felt that way. And I knew then like uh, the nonprofit was good. I'm proud of what I did with Claremont. I still work with Claremont. Uh, you know, all the time um, in official and unofficial, unofficial ways. But I just, I saw like what needs to be done is more commercial and cultural. And we have a sliver of time to create a media apparatus and a commercial cultural movement that um, is to me like the last kind of best hope uh, to give, to create an engine that then can help uh, retake America. So it's like, I, even when I'm trying to be just entrepreneurial and make money, I still, <laughs> I still not trying to do good because I don't know, you know, <laughs> or I still, you're, I'm still mission driven, you know? Yes. You're an activist. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I don't know if you use that term for yourself, but I've always thought of you that way, but um, go, let's go back to your teaching days. Yeah. So you're saying that as a professor in the classroom, at uh, places like, you know, some of these swanky areas in LA. Uh, th there's not much we can do. Let's let's dwell on that a bit because if someone's listened to this and they 
they're not following exactly why that is. Like, mm-hmm. what, how would you say the, li- what would you say the limits are or the opportunities of being an activist professor, um, yeah. doing good work in the classroom? Why is that? What's the limits of that? Uh, yeah, or that's the good, opportunities. I don't yeah, want to say it has to be has to be limits, but so so I mean, obviously, the, the the main opportunity is just the job itself. In 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 uh, in theory, is is really forming uh, you know forming people, forming human beings, yeah. uh, forming hearts and minds, and and um, you know, every American likes to think of themselves. Every modern Western person likes to think of themselves as a individual who evaluates everything critically and rationally for themselves but the truth of the matter is that people learn by listening to someone else tell them what's true and uh you know ultimately learning is is about really seeing that for yourself but this is just the way the world goes around so there's two things to educate and form uh souls in our society two major institutions one is media and the other is education Media is actually more influential because it's there the whole life uh, of a person. Hours a day, you're watching stories and everything else, and it's all forming your soul and what you think about things, whether you think it is or not. Everyone says it doesn't, but the reason advertising exists is because it does. Education is, you know, getting really in a formative years of someone, you know, ultimately it is teaching them how to think, um, showing them how to find the truth uh, and allow them to see it. Um. So in itself, like this is one of the most important things that you could do. And, and the, yeah. the uh, old professions, you know, law, medicine, and, uh, and being a professor, they've all disgraced themselves. But the reason that they were considered lofty and they should in a just society, they would be considered lofty because you'd want people who are really good at the job doing this important job. And you want them to ha- identify as I teach the youth. I, you know, I heal the body. I am a lawyer and I make, make sure justice happens. These are really important things. Uh, and so you want to give a special honor and dignity and keep those people accountable and, and make a big deal about their role because their role is a big deal. It has this effect. Um, but, um, you know, that's so I say that that's all true in theory. The problem of the limit is um, now that the institutions that you're talking about themselves are so corrupted and so um, driven by an ideology that just, uh, you know, to this point, just just ignores what most human beings throughout history have considered true, yeah. what a man is, what a woman is, etc. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a toxic environment because the way that they ascribe, uh, you know, value to people, uh, awards and honors are related to... Um, you know, the wokeness, the kind of identities, uh, sexual identities, racial identities. Um, and that is all pervasive everywhere as well. So it's not about uh, academic excellence. Uh, and amidst all this ideological stuff, where it's not about truth, it's not about academic excellence anymore. And they won't even let anyone who, very difficult for them to allow anyone who thinks differently to exist right within their university. Right. Certainly someone who thinks probably some of the things that, that you and I do along with millions of other Americans, they won't, they won't allow that and they can't have it. Um, it's, it's also the case that as institutions, they're failing 
because they are just sucking everyone's money into a big pot that they give out to administrators who make double and triple and more than what professors make. And uh, they don't care about, you know, all these people thinking, oh, this is a great school. I send my kid to it and I pay, you know, $80,000 a year for it. And they don't realize that, you know, where's that money going? It's not going to the classroom, you know, no. and probably half their classes at least, right, are, are, uh, are adjuncts teaching who are making a pittance. And then you get, so you get this structural problem. The, the professor job is supposed to be like, they leave you alone. And you do your thing. It's like a Jedi master job. So it's like, yeah, you don't make as much money as you could doing other things, but it's a, it's a noble, it has no nobility, like a prestige to it in some way back in the day. And, you know, it, you, you have like your domain of authority, like you get to actually study this stuff and to some yeah. extent they leave you alone. there's a lot um, of discretion. No. Yes. Yes. Like, like a, like a partners in a law firm, you know, like yeah. you go do your thing and it's not like, you know, you're you not micromanaged. <laughs> Yes, yes. But the problem is, of course, as you and I know, they don't leave you alone now. No. And uh, and and so the structure of things falling apart. So here's what you got to think. You got to think you're going to go in if you this is why, sadly, no one's even going in. Like our graduate program doesn't exist. Like no one's even going into this anymore on the right, mm -hmm. because you're going to go into a hostile environment where people yeah. hate you. Uh, you're going to be micromanaged. and You're going to be in a toxic workplace. You're going to be treated like a slave, basically. Uh, you know, gone are the days of professors being, you know, feeded or treated. You're like an adjunct. You're going to make hardly any money and you're going to have to struggle to survive for a long period of time. And this is something that I've lived, you've lived like we, this is, this is a, a terrible a situation to be in. And only someone who's really dedicated to the goodness underneath it all can, can really have the fortitude to keep up with it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, really bad scene. Well said. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, <laughs> there, part of this is the culture, right? Kind of bottom up. Um, the great inflation, for example, I think it's tied to the democratization of of the whole thing, you know. And I, it's you know, it's it's complicated, but it, at the basic level, the students evaluate the professors. And what could possibly go wrong with that kind of structure? You know, um, uh, the, the, if, if whoever evaluates you is analytically your boss mm. and uh, that's just the way it always works. I mean, I've never been invited to evaluate my chair, <laughs> you know, it's very clear on that. You know, I've never been invited to evaluate the vice president of the, of the university. Uh, but I get evaluated by my students. And um, and so uh, I think that's part of the de degeneration that we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're, I mean, I'm trying to imagine the medieval um, Oxford and Cambridge and, and, you know, making sure we do student evaluations, you know, for <laughs> it, it's, it's so absurd. Um, it, and it's so, it's so odd. And, and the fact that the professor, it, the fact that parents don't find it to be odd and and fight back is what really bothers me. Because well, what kind of families are they are are these? I mean, I I don't I don't understand how you could just so mindlessly send your kids. And I know that the kids, you know, in some ways they do whatever the hell they want anyway when they reach that age. But what do you think about that? 
you're about to say something. Spot on. I mean, I think uh, um, two tracks. One is um, uh, Harvey Mansfield, uh, one of the only uh, good Harvard professors, and that yeah. means like oh, his eighties, yeah. nineties. Yeah, uh, but he's up there. Um, yeah. He's at least decent. Um, interesting guy. Yeah. There's a famous uh, moment. I think someone published even online his comments to faculty meetings. Hmm. Oh, really? And, <laughs> yeah. And in response to increasing um, the authority of, I think, student evaluations or something along those lines, he said, I am against them entirely because, as Aristotle says, it is the office of the wise to rule. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one approach, which is, uh, people will roll their eyes at professors saying that, but there's one approach where it's like, look, uh, the, the problem of education is you don't know anything. And so you want to learn something, right? But then how are you going to choose who you learn from? Because by definition, you don't know anything because you want to yeah. learn something. Right. And right, so you're right. going to put those people in charge. And so there is something to like, do you know something about the subject or not? If you do, uh, then you, you, you know, you shouldn't be, be evaluated by people who don't. Um, but I, so there's that. And I think, I think though, even in the world in which student evaluations became a big deal, um, it wasn't good. It was this democratization, but you yeah. could still like you you've lived this. You could still kind of do your thing, because students would respect like you 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 cared about teaching. Like I know you personally, sure. you cared a lot about teaching and yeah. put a lot into it. And students would respect that even if they disagreed. What changes when for the most part, yeah. The evaluation is really powerful. And then all of a sudden you get the ideological students who are like, this person is a, you know, whatever, racist, fascist, whatever. Right. And you, you made that normal. Then all of a sudden, if you're on the other side, you're done. Right. I mean, yeah. it's over. Well, what bothers me about it is that there's a lot of discretion on the part of the university. This is where I, I see the, the nefariousness of the whole thing is there's a lot of discretion on the university as to whether they, to whether or to what extent they use student evaluations for anything mm -hmm. it's like they're just there as a black file in case you want to get rid of somebody yeah yeah and right. that's what i don't like about it it's like a constant file that keeps getting added to and then later someone could go back in there in case they in case they heard you taking serious the fact that the school itself has a men's room and a women's room mm -hmm. and that's how absurd it is i mean the school itself puts the word men on some doors mm -hmm. and puts the word women i mean i didn't put that word there it was there when i got there and i looked that word up in the dictionary not that i had to because i speak english mm -hmm. and and if you just draw out the implications of that in a, in a thoughtful way and someone doesn't like that, and it only has to be one person, mm -hmm. then they can just add that to your, and then look back through your file. Oh, yeah, I see you did have. Oh, yeah. There is a history of, you know, and, and they, they can spin it the, any way they want. And it's it's kind of like oppo research almost. It's like a file for oppo research. And that's what I don't like about it. Uh, because if an administrator likes you, they just ignore mm -hmm. idiots, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But if, if an administrator is kind of on the fence about you, um, and then they find out your political something or other, because 
you happen to either mention something or you brought in any kind of Republican thing and put it on your office door, mm-hmm. just like everybody else does, except for, for the other party. Yeah. Um, then all of a sudden you have like, they go through your file and stuff and because it upsets students. And so like the red state, blue state model thing, like moving to red states, I see the same problem in red states. Um, And I'm not sure how you counteract for people that want to kind of hunker down and make the red state more red and more powerful um, culturally and politically. I'm not sure how you counter that. And then there's the issue of the fear that administrators have of getting sued. Mm -hmm. And that seems to me to be a federal problem uh, with judges and judging and law. And that's a problem with, you know, to me, it's a problem with the Senate confirming judges in the presidency. And that's a national problem. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know the fear of lawsuits. I don't know how to counteract that besides the federal thing. I don't know if you can really insulate yourself in a, in a red state from a federal lawsuit and fear of it. So I worry about those things and I'm not sure what to do about it. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, you can't, it is one country, right? Yeah. Although it's more severely divided um, on more important issues than perhaps any country in history. Um, and the only way to keep an empire like that with that kind of intellectual diversity alone together is by force and a caste system, yeah. which is what's being developed. So right. you know, radically disagree about what men and women are, what the family is, what the nation is, uh, what human beings are, when human life begins and ends. I mean, there's no like these are t- two different universes. Um, so but the odd thing is we're still all here and it is a federal system. So, yeah, I think. To some extent, of course not. I, I The way I look at it, and I should be more careful in choosing my year, words over the years, it just pisses everyone, all my friends off in California when I talk about this stuff. Um, but I guess what I, the way I would say is... You well, better up, pissed off than pissed on. Yes. As my, as I, that's what I always like to add to that. Yes, exactly. Um, so so look, you could, the thing that I see is you can fight here. There's leverage. Um, and Sanders is always the most prominent example of this. Um, but you know, for the first time, it really is historic to say, no, I'm going to put real people on the board of this new college, um, on the state school, and they're going to just refurbish it. And in the past, right. Republicans would have been like, oh, well, that's not academic freedom or something. And, you know, doing the same thing that the right, the left has done for decades, So I do think, and then you get state laws where you can help uh, mitigate some of the stuff against the Fed. So when it comes to the lawsuits, there's a certain aspect of that that won't change, but you certainly could change the culture of the entire school and say, we're not doing DEI stuff here. We're not hiring in the same way. The board of trustees, you know, drives me nuts in Texas, but because it drives me nuts, I can put pressure on people and do something about it here where we get, we're going to have full campaigns about the governor picking those boards as trustees in the public schools. And there's a lot of people here who are still donors, unlike in California, who are, who are mad about what's going on at the state schools. 
but they need to be told, do you want to change that? We can. You mm-hmm. tell the governor to stop putting like fancy squishes, you know, on these boards. You need to re, you got to overhaul the whole thing. You can't do it cosmetically. You need a leadership team that's going to hire the right way for people to actually, and if you did that, you would have world-class universities. Mm-hmm. So will that happen? I don't know because you're right. It's bad everywhere, but there's a path to that in these states and you can make that argument and try to push it to happen. And, you know, certainly there's there's some of this going on with uh, in Florida and here. Uh, not enough, but it's moving in a positive direction, I'd say. Yeah. But w- without, I don't want to m- pretend like, oh, Texas A&M, which people will kind of informally say is one of the most cons- the cons- most conservative state school of its size in the country. It, it's, you know, tens of thousands of people like it's full of woke garbage. Like it's not sure. I'm not going to pretend like even the best cases here are, <laughs> yeah. all, you know, I know. are all fine. Yeah. Well, I guess there's the, there's like the Hillsdale kind model too, uh, where, and it's not either, or, I mean, it's both and maybe, uh, where more, if you could get more schools, more money, so they could just say no to federal money. And then you don't have to worry about the lawsuits. Yeah, as I mean, much that, that, because they're not regulated. Clearly, there's going to be more of that because the success of Hillsdale is, you know, one major bellwether here. Yeah. Where the other thing is, there's a renaissance right now in K through 12 education. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's exploding. The classical education has exploded throughout the country. That can be uh, public with charters like Great Hearts or some of these others, or it can be, um, you know, uh, private. But that's that's exploding. Um, that's real. Where are those kids going to go to school? The ones who want to continue that sort of education. Um, they're going to look at Hillsdale, which is why Hillsdale is near Ivy League acceptance rates right now. Wow. Um, so so Hillsdale could recreate, uh, like create another university, another college of the same size and basically not drop its admission standards. And they have, what, $700 million in the bank? I mean, they're going to have the first billion dollar endowment for any kind of conservative school. So. Wow. So this is not awesome. this is an enormous success story, and and it, and some of the schools that have differentiated themselves and made it over the hump, that are there, you know, again like more classical or real liberal arts, um, for the Catholic schools like Newman Guide, uh, the Christian like the real the real schools trying to do the deal, the the better ones of those are all taking off like the missions has gone up, uh, you know they're doing they're doing well. Uh, some of them that didn't differentiate themselves enough are probably don't think we'll make it. Uh, but but I mean, you're right. There's two tracks. One is really think seriously about really overhauling. First example of it is really what DeSantis is doing, but other states are thinking about it. The state system, which you can do, those people are there. Put Lucas on the board tomorrow if you're listening. Um, but this is the kind of thing that can be done. And And then on the other side of it, these outlying institutions, I mean, there's not enough of them, but they're experiencing growth. They really are. Hmm. You talk about woke capital hmm. um, and what can be done to counter that. And that is definitely tied to the endowment issue and the freedom from all this crap. Right. So, I mean, if you got more capital and, and then just like, you know, more training on, Hey, how to use that capital for good like in fill it uh why can i where why am i missing the word philanthropy philanthropy right mm-hmm. giving money 
to, if, if we could, I can't believe people give to these schools, these crazy schools. I don't get, I don't understand it. Why, why do normal people give to these crazy schools? Why, why can't they divert that money to something? Is it, is it just a matter of ignorance? I know this is two questions, but you got the woke capital question and then you got kind of like the average everyday capital people that are, they're, they're giving is messed up. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Um, it's, uh, so let me start with the the regular, you know, kind of person who probably le- who leans right and is a donor to some of these places. I do think that we have to uh, be a little bit belligerent about it. Some of these people need to be shamed into it because, look, it's just complacency and stasis. Uh, it was your alma mater. Maybe it was your father's alma mater. Um, you know, maybe you're sending your kids there. Um these places brainwash you in a formative time and there's a football team and it's exciting. And, uh, you know, you probably learned something. You probably didn't go into humanities. You do learn something useful and went into business and were successful. You want to give back. Like a, a lot of it is, there is still kind of ignorance, although it's not justified anymore. Like you really should know better, but you know, your own experience was not this craziness and, you don't really you're not really aware of what uh deeper education would be um yeah i think that's you know, a big part of it uh yeah I, I think that's right and so so you, don't, so you don't really know what the alternatives are but certainly now um a friend of mine uh actually just just calling he he coined this phrase i think it's pretty good is they're going to take your name off the building you got to tell these people like you're the wrong color. You're in the wrong, you're in the energy sector. Like oil's bad, you know, they're going to take your name off the building. Your grandkid is going to be part of taking your name off the building because of what they're teaching them. And so, so it's very hard. Um, It's kind of mourning, right? If, if you were really part of this community um, and you were kind of in normal America back in the day, then all of a sudden you have to acknowledge, no, no, the entire institution um, this college is intrinsically rotten and I can't support it anymore or try to help it. That's hard, yeah. you know? Uh, right. It's just, it's hard. On the other hand, I don't think that they should, I don't, like, we don't need to be told the problem. We know it from the inside, right? You mm-hmm. you know it from the inside, but the problem is they don't uh, fully understand it. And to me, it is maddening because it's always like people are like, oh, is it really that bad? Wow. It's like every five years. Yeah, dude. It's yeah. It's worse. It's, it's actually worse. Whatever yeah. you think, it's worse. Yes. Like the No Safe Spaces movie with Dennis Prager, we saw that. <clears throat> and 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 my wife said to me, um, I finally understand what you've been going through all these hard hard years. I mean, she she knew, but she, mm. it was she finally sees it like on screen. And I said to her, I said, as great as that movie was, it's actually worse than that. It's yeah. actually far worse. Uh, and I don't think even Dennis Prager knows how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far worse than that because uh, he that movie had not, said nothing about great inflation. And that's mm-hmm. a key part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, if, if you can't, uh, for lack of a better word, force i mean you know it's not the best word but it's force Mm -hmm. students 
to be excellent. Yeah. And I, I mean that in like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's even in the military now. I mean, I talked to a Marine Corps boot camp instructor and he was telling me stuff that they do in Marine Corps boot camp. I could not believe what he was telling me. Oh yeah. It's it's right. totally different than when I went through boot camp. And I wasn't in the Marines, I was in the Navy, but it it it's it's uh, it's horrifying to me, but it's also not surprising. So you you have this there there's a lack of excellence and um in in the schools and um it's tied to great inflation and what's it's all caught up in that and um um that that's tied into the no safe space thing so yeah it's um it's 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 unbelievable i I don't under it's almost like we've like we're just numb you know i mean uh, i was talking to a friend of mine who um i had on the podcast he's a canadian and he's uh he's a really nice guy and we're on we're on the same views on things i'm not sure where he is on the second amendment but um he he was trying to understand he tries to understand me i think and and mm-hmm. i i think i finally got through to him when we were having coffee uh recently and i said to him i said imagine this imagine if you had a school where academic excellence was gone they they uh, take a school like biola for example in california imagine that there was no concern for truth whatsoever in its, the typical student and that their the academic excellence is gone um there's constant activism political activism but i'm going to add a twist here on virtually every single door of every faculty and maybe even some of the administrators there's trump signs mm-hmm. and there's american flags and nra mm-hmm. and uh you know anti-abortion stuff mm-hmm. and it's just plastered everywhere mm-hmm. but there's no concern for truth there's constant activism in other words students will not do their homework but they'll go to the shooting range and nra convention though they'll, they'll they'll protest outside of you know but they don't do their homework they demand a's and it's all associated with the republican party what would be the reaction from cultural commentators from parents but that is every single school in California besides Biola and some other places like Azusa and stuff, but it's like virtually every public school and, and it's, it's on the other side and we just think it's normal. Like that, you know, we're numb. We're numb. That's normal. He yeah. finally got it. He was like, Oh, cause he doesn't like Trump. I mean, I don't like, like him either, but, um, but you know, I did vote for him, <laughs> but, but, uh, he understands why people would vote for him, but, but it's, it's like, well, why is it, why is there this drastic yeah, double standard? I, I don't get it. Yeah. And, um, horrifying. It's, it's, uh, it is horrifying. They've just kind of sigh up the whole populace and saying, this is normal. It's not normal. Um, and they've, uh, 
you know, the two things are related though, right? Because the 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 doctrine they're espousing is denigrates the kind of academic excellence that we would want. But I think that's a great example. It really is, because that kind of school would would horrify me and horrify you. Like this is crazy. Like you guys are ultimately going to do a lot of harm to your own cause. And uh, you know, this isn't a university. Um and uh, look, I mean, I mean, you know, go back to like the woke capital pouring in um, some of this money knows what you're saying is true and wants it to be that way. Right. I mean, because activists that, uh, you know, a real activist without principles doesn't care about uh, the truth uh, or whatever or, or education. Right. They just want to create uh, foot soldiers to go out and do what they need them to do. So the pressure from, you know, the feds, which is basically all on that side and uh, NGOs and and then other money as well. They, they want, you know, they want these act, they want people to be raised this way by the schools. But the fact of the matter is that um, a lot of the corporate money still comes from businesses that have to value excellence in some way. And they're living yeah. in a lot. Um, they're they're going along. They're giving the money for all this smoke stuff. And ultimately what they're going to create, and they are actively creating before our eyes, is a workforce that's so dysfunctional, it's not good for anybody. And you'll have to hire out, you'll have to hire, you know, hire people from other countries. Because what they're doing is creating a workforce that is so dysfunctional, uh, they can't be good employees. They won't be good employees. And this is also why business should care about the destruction of the family, right? I mean, if the right had its act together, it'd be like business, like climate change is the big issue for them. Um, and that's the issue. We're all going to die if we don't do it. Well, the, the destruction of the family <laughs> is the real civilizational collapse issue. And every business and every advertisement should be trying to convince me that they're going to address that crisis. That's what winning looks like, you know. And and so where is that? Right. There should be centers talking about how do we get, you know, how do we save marriages in a practical way in the society? How do we convince people to have and raise children in a way, I mean, that's what a state school in a red state should be doing. We can't even imagine that, like you say, because we're such, you know, we've been, uh, people have been trained to just think in this losing way uh, as, mm -hmm. as losers. It's terrible. But what I'm saying is like the the sad thing about the capital going in, the money being given is that, you know, some of the woke, some of it's just pure woke, like we want it to do this stuff. Other others of it is just well we know that we're supposed to be woke and we write the checks to our alma mater. Uh, we support you know the system, and, and the problem is for anyone who thinks they're being moderate on this stuff, it's like no no you are actively creating a dysfunctional workforce and populace that will not simply will not be able to perform in the way that you need people to perform in your business. And I mean, I don't think that that even needs that much, that much explanation. I think a lot of people realize that that's probably the case, whether they're in denial about it or not. I think we should say it more. You know, it's like yeah. you're contributing to the destruction of this country and this civilization in your own business. Well said. How do you define woke? Uh, good question. I mean, uh, you see all these people like, you know. I get that question a lot on the left like define woke you don't even know what it means um, <laughs> well I, and, I would say I, what i always say is i'm glad we're interested in the definitions of terms <laughs> welcome yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome where were yeah. you uh 10 years ago on marriage but hey yeah. we want to define things all of a sudden 
Um, for me, my, it, my, uh, my, and I, then I show him my MacBook pro, my Apple MacBook pro. And I look at the dictionary definition of marriage. It says a union between a man and a woman by which they become husband and wife. It's like a sui generis thing. It's hard, hard to define beyond that. It's in my MacBook pro mm -hmm. and, and 2013, whatever it was when the, you know, two years later, actually the Oxford English dictionary in 2015, my, my Pepperdine students could not believe this when I brought the dictionaries in. I brought like 10 of them in <laughs> and I said, look up, uh, they they said, do you believe in traditional marriage? And I said, well, okay, pick up the dictionaries. And I, I seriously, I brought in 10. I spent like a hundred bucks at a used bookstore. Amazing. And one of them was the Oxford, actually two of them were different versions of the Oxford English dictionary. One was Black's Law Dictionary. And these were standard, legit dictionaries, heavy. And uh, I said, don't go on dictionary.com where some idiot can, you know, I mean, I changed the the picture of Descartes on Wikipedia and it was up there for like four hours. I, I put a picture of like a cat or something. So, you know, I mean, just, just make the point, you know, look at the books for, for crying out loud, turn some pages. So I said, uh, you know, on, on, did you say what, what would, what word were you looking up? Traditional marriage. Okay. Under T go look it up. It's not there. <laughs> okay. Well, how about this? Look up M under M. You know, I never say traditional marriage. I just say marriage. Like when I walk into Trader Joe's, I don't say traditional apple. I want a traditional apple. You know, I just say I want an apple. <laughs> anyway, so they look and they were freaking out. They were like puppies at feeding time, uh, you know, around this table and mm -hmm. all looking up. I mean, couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen them that excited in a long time. And and they they were shocked, shocked. And I was like, welcome to the English language. <laughs> It's like, it's, it's not the Bible, it's English, but mm -hmm. anyway, sorry for going up, off on that. No, no, that's amazing. So did they think that, um, did they say, oh, well, those books are old? I mean, like, well, what the, the first thing they go is they say, they always say this, they go, well, but can't definitions change? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm trying to follow your, your sentence that you just said there. And I noticed you used words in that sentence. What do you mean by change? The word change. Do you mean traditional change? Because traditional change meant become different. Mm -hmm. But the new kind of change means stay the same. So, and usually by this time, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> if you look up the word change, it's in the dictionary too. And it means become different. And uh, that's the traditional change though. And, you know, if... The word change changes. I guess mm -hmm. it now means stay the same. But if that's the case, did it really change? By this time, they're just so in knots. They're like, what are you saying, Professor? I don't understand. I'm like, where was look, this? you're picking and choosing here. And the <laughs> you know, if you're if you're trying to you know tease out the implications of marriage policy, you're gonna have to have some kind of stable language why this word now you want to change for this reason and on what basis and all of the court decisions um, have to have some understanding of that term mm -hmm. so so anyway i was just getting into it but uh it's a wonderful time wonderful time but i i think i i might have gotten you off track you, you were saying something about um the definition of woke 
Oh yeah, you wanted me to find woke. Um, where was where was that? By the way, where these this this class? Oh, that particular class was Pepperdine, and um, I had a particularly woke group that year. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I had some loud ones, and then a bunch of people that are just kind of going along with it. I think, but we were talking about Chick Fil A. <clears throat> Can't remember how it came up. I think it was I was teaching Western heritage. Um, ancient medieval we were on adam and eve so i mean it was ex- i was actually part of the i, I yeah. wasn't it's not like i was angry at the supreme court and Obergefell and i was like i'm gonna use the classroom no i was just you know i was i was saying this is this is now an issue of like what marriage is and and at that time man and woman were not really confusing pretend can i would say pretend confusing yeah so i don't really think people are confused about that but but uh uh someone made a comment about chick-fil-a or something and i was like wait hold on a second i'm not gonna let that pass chick-fil-a is not evil um there there's a there's a restaurant just down the street in in venice beach called mao's kitchen Mm. and that's honoring mao zedong and uh so we had this interesting discussion comparing chick-fil-a and mao's kitchen and i said well which is worse and they said chick-fil-a was worse and i said why and they said because he discriminated and i so i googled how many people did mao kill and it was like there was a discussion in the google results between 45 million and 78 million and we can't quite tell how many Uh tens of millions of people that he he led to their senseless and horrifying deaths and by the way these are poor people these are people with pets and i said does that help they had cats (laughs) anyway we had this great uh talk and then i i was driving back and and it all had to do with the definition of marriage they were so horrified by old man chicken and that they were you know they were just ignoring mass murder yeah and so and the 10 commandments was the next thing we were going to cover which is you know murder not don't murder and so it was all related and to the class material and i uh i was driving back down pch and i was like lord how do i get through these people i've never had this kind of opposition and craziness and um i just felt like i really did feel like a sense that it was it was almost like the holy spirit was was gently prodding me to go to the used bookstore and and buy buy used dictionaries and bring them into class so i did and i i showed them that old man chicken was just speaking english Mm. and that's why you hate him and whereas mao is on the left and he commits mass murder and you give him a pass and they all got it after that class period every Mm. single one of them got it and actually i got some apologies and i don't know why it takes that i I know that you can do good work in the classroom but if you don't have the support of administrators and you don't have the support of of donors and the board you know there's no there's not much you can talk about any of these things yeah Um, yeah no i I mean that's a great example of of teaching well in a way that um that grabs their attention and and uh gets them to think about things in a serious way yeah, I, I mean, definition of woke, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah. we, you know, definitions, like you say, you know, are important. 
I I I think the the obvious uh, root of this that just defines it is is simply, uh, and I haven't pared it down into the shortest words possible, um, like a definition definition would in a dictionary. Um, but it's it's um, it is the concept of equity that all inequality um, comes from oppression of right now racial and sexual identity. They can obviously add to that. So the idea that that justice, in order to enact justice throughout society, um, someone needs to reconcile all the bigotry and oppression, uh, which causes all the injustice. Uh, and of course, that somebody is really everything, like business, government, right? All of it has to reconcile uh, and equal level the playing field. I mean, I think that's at the core of what the wokeness came out of is that concept, um, which again, is a concept of justice. I mean, what they mean by social justice, what they mean by justice is um, any inequality that's, ne that's negative, uh, right, has to be has to be rectified because it must exist because of uh, right now there's the evils of uh, especially, you know, white males, uh, but it doesn't have to be white people because they can add to the evils and they can add to the identities however they want. Uh, it's just about reconciling, you know, those two things. And so that's, I think that's at the core of it. Now, I think that what it means in a general sense is, um, is also this kind of strident, um activism above all else uh and you know anything is sort of justified in order to achieve this these just ends um and so you see them excusing violence um you know riots and and all, all everything else um so yeah. I, I you know something like that to me is is, is what wokeness is and I, I really think that there's justification for you know some description of of equity as at the heart of it, as their notion of justice, that then must be, um, you know, implemented by every everyone who has any kind of power. Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, it's especially on the left, right? Um, but I guess, well, how would you define left? So for everybody, to in case these terms get thrown around, and there might be like business people listening to this, and they're not they kind of know what they're supposed to say, but they don't know why. I, I, yeah, I, I think the business, uh, look, the right left thing is almost meaningless at this point. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that that, uh, I don't, yeah, it's a good question. What does it mean right now? Right. Um, what has it meant in the past? I mean, sure. I mean, traditionally, right. This comes from where, where you sat in the, in the French parliament, right. Yeah. Understanding. Um, and, on, on one side, you know, you have the, the good guys and the bad guys really from the left. They kind of, I feel like that framework sure. is sort of owned, owned by them. Yeah. Um, but I would say that you mean wokeness is basically um, whoever describes himself as left of the Democratic Party and certainly rules the Democratic Party um, with an iron fist to the point that you have, uh, say, in California, probably fairly socially conservative uh, Latino machine politicians um, who don't care and look look down on fancy college uh, going up to San Francisco to kiss the ring of, you know, very progressive, 
individuals and they have to vote for anything they want on matters of sexuality and culture, right? I mean, it rules the Democratic Party. Um, so oh, in, that, wow. in that sense, it's, it, is, it is left. Um, but, you know, the right, the right is, the left is communism, the right is fascism in, you know, people's minds uh, from the, the term forming over the last century. Um, I don't know if that works anymore, for instance, because a lot of what the quote unquote left is proposing and the woke people are proposing is, is very much akin to fascism. It's kind yeah. of a oligarchic uh, fascist, uh, you know, in, in terms of merging corporate power with power of government. Um, sure. Uh, so I, I don't, I think it's better to talk about like regime forms and, you know, like what kind of structure of the country you're talking about. Uh, and get really concrete rather than even use the words right and left. I could be wrong about that, but I, I'm not sure they're useful anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I've always been puzzled by, by these terms. Um, I'm puzzled anytime someone expects me to use a term that I don't understand. And so I always like to dip into it and figure out how I want to talk. And then I'm very upset when someone tries to make me talk different once I've thought about it, you know, mm -hmm. So I've always thought of fascism and I dipped into that and I looked at some monographs from historians on fascism and there's a, there's a book I uh, read published by the university of Wisconsin, a press uh, by a Wisconsin historian who uh, says that you, it's very difficult to define fascism and it definitely does not mean conservative. He says that, and he basically says it's a type of socialism. And it you know, and it's it's pretty clear that it's on the left. Um, it's a police state kind of a mentality that I've I've always thought of. I mean, if you say the left is like socialism and communism, um, to me it feels like the police power at the the expense of individual liberty. That's the left, and the right is, um, I guess anything that that would be more correct. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's best I can do with it on that. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, the, the, the color thing too, the red versus blue isn't, you know, it's like, well, red is the color of communism. I don't know why we say that Republicans are red. Um, so it's some of, some of these usages are, they're just so worn out that you don't even know, if you start thinking about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess a lot of words are kind of like that. We just pick up a syllable and we attach it to something and no one knows why we use the word, the syllable for this, for that banana, oh, yeah. you know, banana, you know, where'd that syllable come from? I don't know, probably a history for it, but um, we just use the word, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, so uh what do you like about living in Texas or do you like living in Texas? Tell us about your move and, and do you regret it? Um, no, no regrets. That's for sure. Um, I think, um, you're a family man, but, right? You've got a family, you've got kids. Yes. We have four kids. Um, and, hmm. uh, there's no one who's, regretted any of it uh, my wife is from sacramento um, a lot of our family are in california but 
the good news is everything's a short flight from Dallas uh, after you're used to living on the coast. So you can kind of get around anywhere in, you know, basically three hours or less. Um, maybe the most is three and a half to anywhere in the continental U.S. Yeah, nice. in the same amount of time. So, you know, it's like two and a half hours. You get on a plane and you pop off. You'll, you'll be good. And we're 15 minutes from the airport, which is also a huge game changer for me. I was traveling a lot the last few years. And the difference yeah. between, you know, 15 actual minutes from the airport to my door, <laughs> as opposed to going to LAX, uh, which in Los Angeles, <laughs> mean, you know, yeah, you have to rearrange to there. Uh, so that's 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 been incredible. So I would say it's very convenient. Um, cool. At the same time, of course, I'm not I'm leery of of uh, of telling other people to move or whatever. Some people are going to complain no matter where they are. Um, and obviously, um, the aesthetics of uh, you know just the kind of flatter prairie country in North uh, Texas is not the same as Southern California or any California. I mean, California is one of the most beautiful places in the world. So. Yeah. Was, you're not, you're not, you're not, you know, I'm not trying to dial in the climate right now. You know, I'm not, I'm not focused in my life on like dialing in the aesthetics and the climate. Uh, we're, we're in a situation where the country's falling apart and there's a lot of things to do. Um, so I'm not like looking to retire in the perfect nuanced microclimate. You know, I mean, I, I just <laughs> don't really care at this point. Uh, and the things that I have been able to, and that you know that that, that that stuff is real. Uh, it can be overrated in some ways. Um, it can be underrated too um, to be in a beautiful place. But uh, but I just I, of course that's the case. You know, uh, it's not as as pretty like duh. You know, uh, obviously. But once you once you uh, you make that trade, then all of a sudden, you know, I know so many people, uh, many of whom actually were academics. Uh, who are teaching at colleges or whatever, like, you know, from from that level on to people starting huge businesses like Elon Musk, everyone comes here and does financially better. It's like within a year or two, they're, you know, all the little intangibles from the, you know, the price of like commodities and gas and that kind of stuff to your home price, even with the, the rise that's been going on the last few years, you just, you trade off and you trade off. So obviously financially, economically, it's fine. But of course, that's not the um, main attractor of everyone moving in the last two years. The Wall Street Journal even still pretends it is. I, it drives me nuts when conservatives, quote unquote, do this. Mm. Like, oh, well, Florida has lower taxes, so people are moving there. And as DeSantis would point out, like, Florida's had lower taxes than New York for like 20 years, maybe right. ever. I don't know. Like, that's yeah. not what, maybe some other things happened in the last two years to make everyone move. Mm. Uh, so so the, the other side of it is convenience. I mean, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Catholic. Um, there is a wonderful community of people, the University of Dallas, which is a great liberal arts college. I live right near there. Um, but there's many uh, institutions of, I guess, what I call conservative Catholics or whatever you want to call it, all around here. So much so that um, a number of us started the PAC, which is not Catholic, it's for everybody, families for Irving, you know, to get people out to vote for candidates for the city council. And again, it's like, is there crazy stuff going on in texas yes but can i come to irving which is two hundred fifty thousand people and probably more corporate headquarters for a city of its size than anywhere in the country uh and change the city council yes can i do that in pasadena california where i was no hmm. uh, and so the convenience the community engagement there's a lot of people we kind of moved with us so that we know uh, 
friends from Pasadena who were uh, two miles away there, one mile away here. Um, and uh, actually, Matthew, cool. he's on uh, he's on Twitter, he's a former actor, he is an actor still. What's his name? Matthew Marsden, he's a great guy. Um, he, uh, we're very dear friends of ours. We kind of moved together. Oh, that's cool. At the same time. And there's other people like I can drive around my neighborhood and show you people I knew in California and where they live. Um, because again, it was not some solo thing. It's like, there's a whole community where, you know, your K through 12, you got many options for your kids that are going to be acceptable. Um, there's two great hearts academies, you know, there's two, uh, Hillsdale academies. Uh, those are both charters and they're classical and they're trying to do the right thing. And they got a lot of good people there. It's a private Catholic school, you know, going to, there's a Protestant classical school. Like it's, it's all good. Like, so the convenience factor is, I got everything my kids need within 15 minutes. I can go to the city center. You know, it's like living in the West side. Like I can be downtown in 15 minutes, you know, uh, I can be at the airport in 15 minutes. So the convenience of it is enormous. And uh, that's all the really practical stuff, I guess I would say the positives, I would say the, um, the, the more um, spiritual side of it, I guess, is just getting rid of the insane pressure it just it just drops away. It fades away. And I think especially for a lot of guys, they're holding on to this. Well, I, I need to make it here. Like as if they, they if they go to another big city, it's a failure, you know, and you're sitting there going, you can't make it here. And like be one thing that people need yeah. to do with this stuff is be realistic. Like I what do you what's success? Like, you know, minimum level success where you are. If, if success is like it was probably in the uh, area we were in anywhere near within spitting distance from the school our kids were at, what do you need in a household income to afford a house? And I think at the time and probably, you know, probably even more now, you basically need $300,000 a year coming into the household to think about affording a house in the area of, this was in uh, like near La Cañada, La Crescenta. Um, and so, you know, you draw a big circle around it with commuting and yeah. you basically get about $300,000 a year coming in to think about affording a house. And that's not even including like saving anything, right? Okay, well, how are you going to do that, right? right? If you are doing that and can do that and can, okay, fine, you know, then you don't, you don't have a financial reason to move. But if you're not and you're struggling under the weight of this, you know, I was working at the Claremont Institute at the time, so I'm not, you know, the president doesn't make uh, enough money. I hope Ryan does now. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> but I mean, they were they were a smaller think tank at the time. And, you know, there, there's no way if I'm the only one bringing an income, that's not going to happen. Right. Right. So I'm thinking like, well, that's where I'm working now. And, and that's what I'm doing. So what else could I do? And, you know, but as soon as you get out of that, you, you can hold a lot of baggage in your head that you have to do X, you have to achieve X. And it's just not realistic. Never yeah. mind the fact that you're, you, I'm a friend of mine, I talk about this all the time. You're used to at restaurants when you talk about politics, like your, your voice layers, or you use like code words. And then uh, he was describing here, and I felt the same thing. You're here, and like after like a little while, you're like, wait a minute, I can say whatever the hell I want. I'm still in America. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there were there were wild hogs uh, at uh, this state park, beautiful state park, uh, south of here that we were staying at. We had got reservations six months in advance kind of thing, beautiful cabins by the river. Beautiful area. So I see that there's a bunch of feral hogs there. So don't leave stuff out when you come, just FYI, you know, before you get here, some things to know. I'm thinking like, well, I should bring like, you know, a shotgun and a handgun <laughs> and carry it down there, but it's too bad that I can't do that because 
I live in an un. <laughs> I live in Texas now. And I had to, even though I knew about constitutional carry, I had to go on the internet because it was so hard from California to believe <laughs> I can literally just put this gun in my pocket like an American and a shotgun in my trunk and we can drive down to the feral hogs. And I did, I didn't never even put a clip in it, but I did have it on me and they were there, you know, roaming around where my kids were mm. and we scared them away otherwise. But like, you could just do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, just, just think about that's like a positive thing. Think about all the negative things you just assume you can't do sure. because you live in one of these blue areas. Anyway, it can be psychologically freeing. Yeah. Uh, that's big time. Well, uh, you've probably thought about this. How do you, you, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to ask this question, but how do you resist the Californication of? Oh, yeah. The, I'm sure a lot of people are worried about that. Oh yeah, they are. Um, yeah, a couple things about that that's interesting. Um, nobody's worrying no, in, in, Cal in California. Nobody's worrying about how do we resist the the texification of California? <laughs> I just I've never heard that conversation. So why is it always one way? Yeah, well, it's like it's, Eden. It's, Eden is great, and then yeah. it just it's a crap show. The rest of the Bible. Why is it always <laughs> one way? You know, I mean, there's little blips of, you know, obviously, you know, Jesus came. That was good. Yeah, yeah, that was a good thing. Uh, well, look, I think good things are happening here. And this is what no one's talking about. And it's a little maddening to me because, um, you know, I mean, I have a personal stake in this. I I, I move myself. I move yeah. first because someone in business uh, said, can you analyze for my boss where he should move? Like, you're kind of a prognosticator and you see these things. He's got this whole thing where he could move in it. I, you know, a guy even wanted to pay me. And I was like, you don't have, don't have to pay me anything. I'm, I'm curious myself. So I did <laughs> some real research. I talked to some of the smartest people I know in different places and, and triangulated and I pay attention to things about the cabin. I'm able to move about the cabin pretty, pretty easily in this, in this America for some reason. I get into rooms. And anyway, I realized I strategically needed to be in Austin or Dallas, Texas. Um, and part of that was even from that period was oh well what if they just turn california anyway and right, first off, right. the first thing people tell you is well if you go to dallas and you go to austin you may as well be in california because they're just liberal too right and, and and here's there's so many uh there's so many this this it comes from both people outside who don't want to move who just say it's just going to change anyway and people mm -hmm. inside who don't want to do anything and say the californians are ruining everything and it's not actually our fault which it is okay <laughs> so so there's two excuses inside and outside. So people have a reason to, to promote this narrative. It is absolutely false right now. Of course, there's a concern that the more people move, they just move economically or businesses move hypocritically economically, and they bring in with them all these libs, right? Okay. Right. Uh, but that's not the real problem in Texas. The real problem in Texas are the complacent yeah. people who've been here forever who've allowed their universities to go woke when they're That's in a Republican right. state and they have nothing to prevent them from doing it except for growing a pair. Yeah. They could easily do what Rufo did, but they refuse to. That's the real problem. And I'll prove mm. it to you. I mean, if it's the problem of all these blue locusts, they call them, right? All the people coming in and, and making it like California. If that's the problem. Then why is it that in the last few years, uh, Republicans have won by more and not less with a mm. governor, whatever you think about him, who has run to the right the entire time he's been in office. 
He's constantly doing this and looking at what DeSantis does and imitating him. He's not copying the left. That is a yeah. sign that you're winning. Why is he doing that? Does he want to do that? No, I don't think Greg Abbott naturally is like a hard right conservative on this stuff. No. But he sees what the where the base is. Okay. Numbers. Numbers matter. We just won all three statewide races here. Lieutenant governor, which has a lot of power, attorney general, and the governor by basically 10 points, 10 point victories. So that is growing. In other words, the red um, the red wave did happen here and it became more red, just like Florida and not less red. So, uh, you know, in other words, the trend line is actually good right now for both Texas and Florida. They're becoming more Republican. There's no way around that fact. You can prove it in a variety of ways. One other thing, and I'll stop with the numbers, is when when uh, what worried a lot of the establishment here is when Beto, Beta, you know, who just got yes. laughing stock now, he just got slaughtered. Right. But he when he first ran, that was scary, right? Sure. Hey, Ted Cruz uh had an interesting campaign to say the least. I mean, it wasn't even like uh there you could have you could have faulted some of the things that, that happened with him as well. Um, but let's say it's, you know, it was it was a scary sign. The statistics on that, this poll that I always go back to and more and more people know about, showed that. Uh, people who'd been in Texas for more than six years voted for Beto over people who'd been in Texas less than six years who were more likely to vote against him. Mm. So it is just not true that the flow of people uh, leads in one direction. And then finally, I mean, if we want to talk about this, we can. I think it's actually up to people in the state now to take measures that can prevent this and it can be prevented. And and really, DeSantis is the best model for that. You know, message the right way, and you'll get what Salesforce said here about abortion when the uh, when, when the, the abortion laws were triggered because Roe v. Wade was overturned. You know, Salesforce told all its people, if you want to move from Texas, we'll help you move um, because of the abortion law. And of course, I'm sitting there. <laughs> I think we should give a tax credit as well. We we should subsidize moving these people out of here. I'm I'm all about it. Wow. Uh, and why did, why did that happen? Because when you do the right thing, it gonna, it's going to signal in this environment, mm. you know, this as opposed to that. So right. not, I don't think it's not a problem, but I'm not as worried about it as other people. Okay. That's fair. Uh, and I appreciate you backing it up with some, some stuff, some polling. Uh, do you ever get people telling you that they're concerned about you from California? Because... Or do you ever feel that has, you know? Uh, well, it's like someone said um, um, on the internet uh, when everyone was looking for a place to move in the last couple of years during the midst of the madness. Yeah. Um, they told a story about like going, it's like some, uh, seeing some place in a mountain state that had like crystals and everyone welcome here. And then driving to another town where someone yelled out a slur at him because he had a California license plate. <laughs> and he said, I, I want only want to move where they yell at me for it. <laughs> yeah. And there I kind of I kind of <laughs> felt the same way. Like I don't That's hilarious. I don't want to go where they welcome the plate. I want them to be mad that I'm here. Um I think that uh yeah. people realize right away, like I say, like I'm the one you want here. Trust me. Right. And I think more people here are tuning into the fact like they've they've met people who have moved, who are like more belligerent than they are, who are helping inspire them to take action in local politics. And one of the best phrases for it I heard it was when I was in Florida, someone said, you know, 
all these uh, blue state refugees going to red states, they're like Cubans. <laughs> right. And we are right. We're not we're not going to I say like this. Look, this state of Texas is my own personal Alamo. I don't yeah. plan on going anywhere. Maybe I buy you know multiple houses or something, but I'm not not planning on, on leaving. Tech. This is the Alamo for now. Right. We stay, we fight and die here. And and so yeah. I think people, um, they, they're increasingly getting that. They respect that. They get to know people who are coming like that, and they kind of see it as a, a genre. Uh, but certainly, like, the one thing that I would get, because they'll know where I stand pretty quick uh, talking to me. The one thing is, of course, you have to be respectful of the fact that, and I, that I don't, what the hell do I know about Texas politics? Like, I know enough about, well, how local politics works and state politics works to know, like, there's a lot to know. Yes. Scene, and if you don't know the scene, yeah. you've got to be quiet about certain things. Sure. Um, so you figure it out. So there has to be a healthy kind of um, humility. Uh, and you might be right about some of what needs to be done, but how to do it is not something you're going to know unless you really know what's going on in the scene. And you won't know that without other people helping you or, you know, you spending some time and observing. And, and Yes, that. there you go. No. That's exactly right. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in local politics here and um, there is a lot to know. And oftentimes the most important things to know are not <laughs> and on any website. Yes. You won't be able to find it. <laughs> yes. Because it's not, it's not there. And if you went into the public records, you might be able to find some things, but you can't find it on a website or something like that. No, exactly. Um, so what's, uh, when you're with your everyday life right now, what's your life like? What's your, what's your, what do you, are you a night owl? Do you get up early? Uh, what do, is it, does it vary? Uh, um, well, I have to tell you, you have coffee. I'm, what do you have for breakfast? Where, <laughs> what do you, what's a typical day like for you? Or is there such, such a thing? Um, well, over the last two years, it was, um, you know, get up, uh, not super early, like seven, eight o'clock, um, and go through a bunch of work stuff, bad habit. I'm trying to break <laughs> in bed, like pull out the laptop and start, you know, um, and that would be like really before coffee, coffee? You, you know, do that before coffee. coffee. Oh yeah. Before coffee. I just right away. And then I, you don't uh, need coffee in the morning. No. And then I'd go, I, I don't anymore. Actually. I don't, um, it, it helps sometimes, but, uh, okay. I like coffee, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have to have it every day. So, so I, then I go to my home office and I'd usually have like a couple calls or, you know, some kind of zoom thing or whatever. And then I get into the office office at 10. I'd be there till like six or seven, come back, eat, maybe hang out with the kids, maybe do some more work. And then in bed, I'd like be checking things. And that was kind of my, uh, my schedule. And then I travel a lot too. So it was pretty, pretty much nonstop. Um, but I made it so it wasn't like horrendously unpleasant uh, for the last two years. And we built a lot of different things at New Founding. Uh, now I'm transitioning out of that uh, to something else I can't really announce yet. Um, so I'm in this hilarious interim period where my kids are like, do you have a job? Are you looking <laughs> for a job? <laughs> because I'm working from home uh, all day. And uh, that's funny. It's a pleasure to do this. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's been a, it's been a wild, like burst of energy. 
um, to create um, a lot of different things. Like some of the media, like Return um, is an interesting new brand uh, talking about tech that's uh, also uh, friendly with Christianity and the right uh, um, and not opposed to it, right? I mean, that's pretty What's it called again? Return? Return. Uh, okay. Return.life. Um, it's on Substack too. They just moved it to Substack. Interesting brand on tech. Uh, really, the right doesn't have anything like, and and I fostered that by bringing James Polis over, and it's a guy John Stokes who's very interesting on Twitter. Uh, he's a tech guy on this stuff, and they kind of run Return. Uh, I think interesting things are going to happen with that brand in the future. Uh, it's a really important subject. Digital technology is obviously behind a lot of the changes we see. Whoever controls it controls the world, and uh, it's the most powerful tool human beings have right now. So. I, you know, creating that zero to one is not easy. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't have to do the hard work on that. James did and, and the rest of the team, okay. but that's good. And then Align, A-L-I-G-N, um, I, I don't know what the address is now. It's probably Align at New Founding. Let me see. Uh, but Align is uh, a brand also that uh, is going to grow, I think, in some very interesting ways. Yeah, align.newfounding.com. Um, and the idea of the line was, let's just connect people to products and services from people who don't hate them. <laughs> what a concept. Uh, crazy, What a right? concept. Yeah. Uh, and, I and love that not... tagline. I love that tagline. The fr buy from people that don't hate you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was our tagline, I think, before anyone else. We had, you know, don't stop buying products and services from people who hate you. Uh, don't it's a buy little, from It's a little abrasive. So how do you, if someone said, wait, hate, what do you, what do you mean by it? hate? You know, what, you know what's funny is no one ever asks. Um, they just know it. Get it? They don't, and if they get it, and the rest of that ad, the first ad we ran that got you know hundreds of thousands of people subscribed, uh, was um, the first ad we ran was uh, was an ad that said that you know stop buying from people who hate you, but the rest of it was all positive. You know, it was like a happy family and a picture, and it was like uh, you know learn about all this positive stuff. Was and this a TV role, ad? Was it on TV? No, it's just a Facebook ad. It was just oh, a, it's a Facebook ad. Okay. Addict graphic and and my rule for this with the writers was you can mention bad things happening in america but only as a hook to turn around with a solution excuse me right so like they're you know canceling people with banking well here are five different financial institutions that uh won't cancel you you know uh oh and that that's the kind of thing that i think people need people also need like how do i live my life you know i think one of the interesting things about uh, you know, your, your own journey, uh, for a lot of people is going to be like, how do I deal with this crazy situation, right? In yeah. California, how do I live in North Korea, you know, as a Christian? <laughs> I mean, and what do I do when I'm there? How do I help the people there? How do I help the kids in the classroom? Like people want to know, uh, you know, how, uh, how to act, like how to live in this crazy time. Uh, and I think Align is a lifestyle brand that will grow, uh, into that. And there's, you know, goodness, there's like uh, 700,000 people, I think, on that list we're playing with now. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, some core, at least, uh, you know, two, three, two, three to 400,000 people in the core list of engaged people who read the content uh, fairly regularly. And so there's a lot that can be done with that. Um, and then, uh, gosh, Firebrand, uh, we created a super pack basically to do uh, edgy media for the right. Tom Klingenstein is the board chair of the Claremont Institute. We did a whole 
video series with him initially called The War, which got a lot of attention. Uh, it was very well done, if I do say so myself. Again, I just <laughs> I just put together the right people, and they did the, they did the amazing work. Um, but uh, that media team uh, will be making content for C4 called Firebrand Action uh, that will continue education and advocacy of edgy stuff on the on the right um pushes the messaging forward and you know i may think that uh that what do you could, when you say edgy what do you mean by edgy i mean it uh well we first off we directly attack the right as well as the left um we were dinging people who we didn't think were saying the right things on the right um and many of these senators for instance um pretty terrible in my opinion um and and pushing them to uh, to think about these things in the right way. So, uh, you know, for once, and it's not everyone's cup of tea because not everyone agrees with me, right? But uh, <laughs> one example is the DeSantis Martha's Vineyard thing. People called it the stunt. Uh, I thought it was it was pretty interesting. I thought it was pretty great. Um, and when he sent the people there, we did a video that is pretty sharp, and it just goes praises Martha's Vineyard, the people of Martha's Vineyard for taking the right action. Which is identify the problem, realize you can't actually ingest these people into the society right now. Uh, you know, so identify it as a problem, uh, you know, and ultimately deport them as soon as possible uh, back to where they came from um, with law enforcement. I mean, they did a great job. Uh, Martha's Vineyard is a great example to the rest of the country of what should be done. <laughs> so, you know, we had fun with that. And guys like Dan Bongino, I think, saw that one and liked it. Um, and, and it's weird because in some ways, I think the right needs to soften. In other ways, it needs to harden. But I like uh, fostering a team of creative people who usually get screwed in this environment, who can make interesting stuff for the sake of politics. And, you know, now with a C4, it's less about candidates. And it was always kind of about issues. Um, so I like um, having a team of people. And, you know, at a high level, I work on it too. Just how do we message uh, things the right way? And how do we experiment with that? I think that's valuable and it's important and we need people trying it. We need to fund the kids who uh, are good at this. So that's yeah. the C4. Now, uh, you know, uh, my team could create a separate production company. I'm thinking about that now, but the team who made that media, um, because there's other people who want us to make stuff and I want to keep them going along those lines. So, you know, th those are all little things, but courage is a habit is a nonprofit that came from one of our employees that we spun out Alvin, who's, fighting the CRT stuff, um, the talent network um, over the last few years, you know, I mean, just transitioning to do other things I'll announce uh, soon, but you know, there's, there's uh, I don't know, 2000 plus people. Maybe I'm speaking out of school, like uh, who are incredible, like business talent, right? Executives and whatever who want to work for non-crazy people. Um, that could be its own company. I think new founders can probably going to focus on more of that. And connecting capital to entrepreneurs moving forward but um you know it, it's it was a burst of energy a lot of things were created and i'm proud of it um and i think that this is a movement and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity and hope for people who see what's going on and want to be involved in some way i think it's going to get easier for people to see how they can fit in and what they can do and there's going to be more investors and donors who also see the scene as well and i do I have lived that every day. Like I, I see a lot of talented people who are literally saying, like, watch again, what should I do? How can I, you know, merge my career with something meaningful uh, and and help fight whatever this 
thing is, you know, that they can't even quite define this Borg, this woke thing. Or, um, and so, so we're not, you know, yeah. resistance hasn't really started in earnest. I mean, a, a lot of people are just, just starting to really take action. I think, um, you know, I think some, we'll see some interesting things in our, in our lifetime and both for you personally and me personally, I think there's a lot of opportunity as bleak as things, uh, you know, look in some ways. Uh, when you look around the cabin at the, this country, there's good things happening. And and people mm. are not, you know, people are they're looking. It's an organizational problem. Like the talent is there. They want to create new media, new tech, new finance, new education. But the organization, there's there's the momentum building, but the, it has to, you know, everyone has to connect. And that's yeah. a big part of what needs to happen next. And feel the freedom to do it, too, because I think there's a lot of conditioning that Yes. What you're doing is going against that conditioning, right? You're you're almost like retraining people about freedom, like like what you're saying about putting the pistol in the pocket, like or saying whatever you want to say, whatever you think is true in the in the restaurant. Um I I'm excited about what you're doing. I think it's fascinating and anything that has like a hopeful tone, which it does seem like it does, is a, is a really a, a breath of fresh air to me. Um I, I wanted to ask you one final question um, about self-care uh, because I ask everybody, I'm always interested in whether people take a Sabbath. Um, do you take a Sabbath? Cause I'm really worried about entrepreneurs that work like seven days a week. And um, I would be just as worried if you were like out there murdering people or, or stealing or yeah. <laughs> committing well, adultery or, or uh, you know, lying about being all, the rest of the 10 commandments, but yeah, it's there yeah. for a reason. I mean, God, God did command, command it because uh, he cares for us and wants us to have. So do you take a Sabbath and do you, is that something you, you as an entrepreneur, I know you can work like seven days a week, but. Well, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, even if I'm not an entrepreneur, by the way, uh, even if like, I, I think what I'm going to say this real quick. I, I, I think one of the hardest things I ever did was try to teach uh, four classes a quarter, like a four, 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 four. Brutal. Uh, and a lot of them were new when I was designing them. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was crazy. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, and there's no assistant or whatever. And I will say, like, I've worked all kinds of jobs from, you know, menial physical jobs to, uh, you know, fancy stuff, whatever. And I, I, I never, I was trying to do something that was actually impossible, like do a good job at doing that, you know, in all ways. <laughs> And I've never worked like that in my life. I it's one of the first times I, yeah. and the only time as an adult, I fell asleep, uh, you know, and missed morning class because I've been up all night, you know, trying to get the work done. So wow, uh, wow. you know, I don't think it matters what it is. It's a relationship that you have to work um, that can become a crutch. It can become something that some personality types will use to avoid family or uncomfortable, you know, things things they need to talk about within themselves, whatever. So I, yes, I've been guilty of, um, of, uh, you know, breaking that I think over the last two years, but I will tell you, I, what, one thing I did to establish the Sabbath was we go to, we generally go to church. We go to mass at the same time, like 11 o'clock in the mornings on Sunday. And then after that, um, it's become a ritual where unless some big thing is going on, we go out to eat as a family and we take our sweet time. And so we go 
out uh, and we argue about where we should go. <laughs> uh, it's not always the same place, uh, but we go out. And we <laughs> take our what what place is it now? I have to. I now have to ask. Oh, no, it's not always the same. McDonald's. Place. Oh, it's not like always the, ranch. the same place. I okay, like the ranch in Las Colinas a lot. It's a great place. You you don't need reservations, and uh, it's big and it's good food. But um, but we you know they have their everyone has their favorite place. And just the blessing of being able to do that uh, has been enormous for all of us. And what I love about it is um, my kids protect it as much as we do. Like I thought, you know, we'd be the ones. Wow. But 16, 12, 10 and uh, five year old, they get very upset if they hear of anything like breaking in. Like even oh. if we're gonna have people over or something like what? You know, we this is our time, you know. Wow. So that's a huge compliment to you. So I just, I, I, I you know, they love yeah, you. It's so great. Uh, wow. It's so great that they, they defend that time. Yeah. Uh, just like we do. And and so, and then we come back cool. and, and we usually, we have got to the habit where usually it's kind of a, a, a chillaxed afternoon. You can take a nap if you want kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, there's really no open plan for Sunday evening because sort of revolve. So I feel like the baby step, I'd like to put even more rails around it. I'd like, especially for my own self, I think a lot of us as adults, we need to put rails around silence before the Lord. Like there needs to be, like I would love, and I personally love that. I mean, I'm the guy like staying at, you know, the church at, or don't want to leave kind of thing. I want the silence. Uh, and but if I don't do that for myself and I, you know, I lay down as guilty as anyone else and I get on the doom, doom scrolling, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't want to do that. And it's all, then it's all over. So I'd like more guardrails, but that's the, that's the baby step we took is after mass, we all go take our sweet time at lunch and nothing interferes with that. And your mass and your church, does it have a rock band or anything like that? Is it one of those <laughs> cutting edge uh, uh, Vatican II? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I, I look, I grew up, uh, with that kind of music in Protestant world, uh, non-denominational. I went to a lot of different churches and, um, I you know, it. I have a lot of respect for, um, a lot of these things. Like, I don't think mm. like the charismatic movement is all a complete joke, right. Or no, no, no. But, but I do, uh, I do think that, yeah, there's some problems with the entire Christian world and how it's developed, uh, in all yeah. its branches. And it's all threatened by the same thing. So the church I go to, it's funny. It's it's University of Dallas. I shouldn't even be there a lot, I feel like, because it's not a real parish. Um, but a lot of families, if we're lazy, we can just go there. And it's around the corner. And what it does have is, you know, solid, solid priest, solid stuff. And then the music, it's 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 this ugly old chapel. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying this. People, <laughs> people really like it. It's a very modernist chapel. It feels like a cave to oh, me. Oh no! Not my cup of tea. But you can see they've made these moves where they have some more traditional uh, paintings and stuff. And the music is clearly they've they've made this move towards, you know, not like uh, not like it's not a Gregorian chant or anything, but it's like much more traditional music, which I love. Hmm. And you know, you, you know, one of the things that blew my mind coming here was we have the Anglican ordinariate here, which is the Anglicans who the Catholic Church is like, hey. You can come aboard with us again. It's cool. Like you guys, you've kept things up. Like you can come back uh, mm -hmm. to the Catholic church. And so these are Catholic Anglicans basically, and they're allowed to keep their own traditional right. 
And it, it blows my mind. I'm like, this is the solution. Because the Catholics have to you know, complain about too modern of the liturgy and you know the, the words and everything. We actually re have we read the Bible every day. They recite the Bible three times in, in church, right? But outside of that, like, what do you say and what do you do? Well, the, the language is all beautifully, like, worn English from that's traditional, right? From the Anglican right. that's alive. And it's, and, and it's, but it's also English, right? Which is, yeah. which then speaks to me, like, it, it moves me because I'm thinking, yes. wow, centuries of, you know, uh, these people in the West who spoke English, like, hammered out this traditional uh, language. And there's some Latin in it, too, which is great because it's universal, but it's it's in English and it's and it's trad. Hmm. Why don't we require this everywhere? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> when you say have... trad, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, um, in uh, the Catholic world, um, the uh, the language and kind of some of the ceremony right changed over time, uh, and yeah. there's some more traditional ways to approach uh, the way you speak about these things. And the way okay. you order, you know, so uh, more trad that way. And and look, gotcha. I, I'm probably, it's hilarious for me to say this because I am the guy who's like, no, I don't want my kids when they, again, this is hilarious because I don't even say anything about them. If we go to the church, right? Uh, and this is hilarious to end with this. We go to the church like on Sunday and Sunday evening, sometimes we could be traveling or whatever. We go to this church and they have the drums and they have like, you know, the, the guitar and everything. And I'm looking over at my kids and they're like, what is this like make <laughs> like this is crazy like this is you, you gotta be that's kidding awesome me. and i'm the guy awesome. who has this old like roots from when i was younger like remembering some of the old protestant songs and i'm like this kind of moves me a little bit right now like you know i uh -huh. i feel the spirit of the lord you know and i look at <laughs> my kids are like this is bunk like, <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> that's great yeah. Where can people uh, find you to connect with you? Uh, best place is Twitter. If you just go to uh, at Doc, Doc MJP, D O C M J P uh, on Twitter, you can find Matthew J. Peterson there. Uh, and okay. if you just, uh, you know, DM, I, I call the, I'll give you my email from that. And then uh, we can go from there. And that's how I filter things. That's very good. All right. Well, thanks, Matt, for uh, hanging out and um and spending time with us always good it's been too long uh we've known each other for for a while yeah. and been through some similar experiences one thing we have to talk about next time is um the show i want to co-produce with you called adjuncts oh <laughs> yes that's that's <laughs> the idea that you remember I remember that yeah yeah oh yeah I, i've never forgotten it i i have it on my notes to mention during this uh time that we had and i i I missed mentioning it for some reason. So it's delightful to hear that you remembered that. And I actually think there's something to it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm writing a novel right now called the adjunct. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a long project. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm excited about, so we'll, 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 we'll have to talk more about it. Great. Well, let me know, uh, how I can help you and, uh, in any way. And I, I have to, uh, I actually have to run, run now. Okay. Um, we'll stop now then. So uh, these guys got the live in and out of us, but uh, good stuff. Okay.